Good afternoon, good day, good happy Tuesday for those who are already on Tuesday. You know, we, we are listened to um, in over 67 uh, countries, so some people are on Tuesday. Um, but today is the 4th of July, and it is a beautiful day in the neighborhood. The sky is clear. The firecrackers or the fireworks have already begun. I'm just getting into town um, about an hour and a half or two ago. Um I just I just took a nice self-care trip to Vegas and I just relaxed. It was a beautiful thing and ended up with a guest today because <laughs> we were supposed to get together, but it was some COVID issues jumping off. And so I was like, oh, girl, wait a minute. Wait, don't tell me nothing else. I got to put you on my show. So I am excited um, to to be here Um it's a beautiful thing. Everything is, um, we don't have any craziness going on right now other than the normal craziness. Um, I don't know if there's been any police chase in the last four days uh, since I've been gone since Thursday, but uh, one, of course, yeah. So, no, 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 no. More, more, more than one. Don't forget the oh. guy, Jalen uh, Walker in Akron, Ohio, was shot 90 times by eight officers. Started oh, see, out I hadn't even heard about that yet, so I'll have yeah. to, I need to catch up on my news and yeah. stuff. Yeah. But today yeah. is about resilience and, and when I, I, when I, let's see, hold on, I'm going to my Facebook page because I, um, went back to describing, um, Mindful Mondays as it, as it, ah, okay, I just dropped my phone, let's try that again. Uh, as I described Mindful Mondays back in March of 2021, when we began, I said that being mindful means being aware of your thoughts, your emotions, and how you are feeling physically and mentally. It means being aware of your thoughts and feelings without judgment. And so again, with the show being called Mindful Mondays, we bring a lot of guests in that help us to really start thinking about some of the things that go on in our own lives and how we uh, get through them. And so I was talking to my guest, Felicia, who is a USC alum class of 2002 that I personally recruited from LA Southwest College in 98, 99-ish, somewhere in there, um, who I personally, like personally, like for real, like I read her application. I personally met her, told her, gave her a plan. I think the year before gave you a plan and was like, this is what you need to do. And it'll happen. And she did exactly what I said. Got to SC, got the topping scholarship, did her thing with not one child, but two children, two children. And she is the epitome of resilience. So what I did was I went to my mobile dictionary and I pulled out what resilience means. And this is what I posted on Facebook. I said, resilience is the ability of a person to adjust to or recover readily from illness, adversity, major life changes, crisis, disruptive process, etc. And so when we were chatting um, a couple days ago, and again, I had told her I was coming and was hoping we could see each other, but we were chatting and I was like, oh my God, that is like, we, we, 
I think if people hear your story and I know elements of it definitely resonated with me, but, but it was just so powerful. And that's why I entitled this particular, um, um, show podcast, excuse me, resilience, making your dreams a reality. And Kalisha, you were not playing. You were like, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. This lady said she could help me. I'm going to listen to what she has to say because I remember, I remember vividly sitting in the, like the transfer center or whatever that little center was that you guys had. I think it was called the transfer center, um, at Southwest. And I, I vividly remember, I was thinking about that after we had spoken and I, my mind started kind of going back and I remembered it's like, look, you want to do this? This is what you need to do. Listen to me. I'm reading your application. This is what you need to do. And I tell you, I, who would have known 10 years, well, 20 years? This is for 20? Okay, stop. See, I'm, I'm gonna need, I'm gonna need you not to go ahead and come off mute. I'm gonna need you not to be out of college 20 years. Oh my God. That is, that's too much. But 20 years later, you know, all the things that you've done. So let me welcome you, ladies and gentlemen. I welcome to you USC alumna, class of 2002, Miss Kalisha Washington. Woo. Thank you for having me. How are you? Oh, I get to oh, see you now. I'm We're talking You're good? Yes. I I appreciate what we were talking about and some of the things. And it was just like, oh, my God, I have to. People need to hear. Because we, again, you know, I go back to the promo or what I said on Facebook, I should say, um, when we talk about resilience. Like, first of all, Black women. That's our, that's our middle name. Let's, let's just start with that. You know, people of color in general have to deal with resilience, but black women, we deal with resilience on a daily basis. We deal with stuff all the time. And it's amazing how we're able to deal with it and keep moving while we're dealing with it. And then just, it all comes together. So let's just, let's just first start with, give us a little background as far as um, you're from Los Angeles area and then start from like, you went to such and such high school and then how that just start that path. Okay. So, um, I was born in 1975. I'm 46 years old. My grandparents actually integrated the neighborhood. Um, I was born and raised on 113th and Dinker right across the street from Southwest college. And, oh, wow. um, yes, my grandparents integrated the neighborhood in the 1960s when it was completely white. My mom, <laughs> And my grandma actually went to Washington High School, and I went to Washington. So um, my mom went there, and um, as a regular, you know, as a regular student, my grandma went to night school to try to get her di- her high school diploma because she had dropped out um, to help support her family uh, when she was in high school. But I remember my grandma like seeing pictures of my mom playing violin in the orchestra at Washington Prep. You know, the violin, the violin. Oh wow. <laughs> We had a major marching band when I was there, but they had an orchestra when my mom was there, you know? Um, and so anyways, my grandparents integrated that neighborhood, just worked really hard. My grandmother um, had dropped out of school to pick cotton in Texas. Um, my grandfather was a military veteran. He um, he was in the Marines, fought in World War II, um, and then got out and worked at Sears and Roebuck <laughs> back in the days. My grandmother never worked a regular job, but um, when she moved to Los Angeles, she became the help. You know, she cleaned folks' houses, but she raised me. 
And she was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. She was born in 1923. My grandfather passed away before I was born. Um, But my mom brought me home from the hospital, put me in the bed with my grandma. And I slept in the bed with my grandma until I was 13 years old. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Yeah. She didn't graduate high school, but she taught me how to read, write, and balance a checkbook before I even started kindergarten. She always pushed me beyond what my teachers expected of me. And um, she was just my world. We had to learn the states and capitals. I had to spell them. I'm like, grandma, nobody else has to spell them. She said, you have to spell them. You know, my handwriting wasn't right. She erased it. Do it again. Do it again. Um, So she always held me to a high standard of excellence. But at the same time, she just encouraged me so much. She always told me I was beautiful. I've never had a problem with self-esteem. Um, that was just my background. But at the same time, my mom was a different case. So my mom ended up on drugs, you know, during the crack epidemic of the 90s. She ended up dying in 1991. Um, house caught on fire. Apartment she lived in caught on fire. And her lungs had given out from years of smoking. Um, and <clears throat> like I shared with you previously, like my mom, The morning my mom died, we were at the hospital. We had gone at like two or three o'clock in the morning. They said they didn't think she was going to make it. And um, she passed away like seven that morning. And then I went to school and took the PSAT that day. I was in 11th grade. I was 15 years old. Uh, My brothers were three, five, and six years old. It was the day after my six-year-old brother's birthday. It was the day after he turned six that my mom died. Um, And so it was really hard on all of us. But one of the one of the challenges, one of the decisions I made at that time when my mom died is like, I want a baby. I want somebody to love me. I'm like, kids don't love you. They selfish. They love themselves <laughs> later on. But um, but I decided I wanted a child. And it took me a couple of years before I found somebody who was like, yes, let's have a baby. Um, so I was pregnant with my son at 17, uh, had him at 18, pregnant with my daughter at 18, had her at 19. Um, and then my kid's dad and I broke up when my daughter was six months old. And then two years later, I decided to go to college and I ended up at Southwest College. Now, at this time, my, my dad has moved into the house with my grandma. And this is my mom's mom, but my dad moved in with us when I was 15, just before my mom died. And um, he was very educated, also a veteran, Vietnam veteran, Air Force, uh, smartest man I've ever known. <laughs> my dad, and he had gotten his bachelor's degrees in black studies and journalism from Cal State Long Beach. And then he got a master's in education from USC also. Um, <laughs> and then he always told me, go to Southwest College. He's like, you need to go to Southwest. And because right out of high school, I was planning to go to college anyway. But I didn't know how college worked. I had no idea. They just didn't teach us anything. I had higher than a 3.0 grade point average. So I was accepted to all the Cal States. I remember looking at the USC application and saying, I'm not writing an essay, period. (laughs) I'm just not writing an essay. And I'm sure I was capable, but I wasn't going to take the time. And also at the same time, this is my 11th grade year when my mom died, you know? And so my mom died in October, college applications are due in November, and um, and I had migraine headaches at the same time. Folks that I grew up with were being killed in drive-by shootings because this is South Central Los Angeles. The stuff you saw in Boys in the Hood, the stuff you see in Menace to Society, all of those kinds of movies, that was, that was South Central Los Angeles. So folks I know my whole life were dying. And it was, and we'd hear it on the PA system. 
Now they're a lot more careful and make sure they're a mental health therapist when someone dies. But back then in the 90s, it didn't happen. You they just announced it on the PA at school? They announced it on the PA system during homeroom. So-and-so died last night. Yes. And so we had to deal with it and we just had to suck it up and deal with it. Um, and so that was, it was a really rough time. <laughs> that semester, I probably got my lowest scores since I had been in high school. But um, but I was, you know, I was capable. Still graduated high school with honors with a 3.4 GPA. Um, and so two years, <clears throat> my daughter was two and my son was three years old. I decided to go to Southwest. I was walking by and I saw the sign saying school was about to start. And I was like, I want to take a Spanish class because I want to know what the Latinos around me on the bus are saying about me. Of course, they're not thinking about me. They're not talking about me. But my in, in my hood perception, if they're speaking Spanish, they're talking about me. Now that I've traveled to other countries, I know that when I'm speaking English, it's not because I'm talking about somebody else because that's how I speak. But that caused me to go to Southwest. And they said, you have to take English and math placement tests. I said, I don't want to take English and math. They said, you can't go to school here unless you do. So I took the English and math placement test, scored high, scored into English 101 and whatever the math was. And then I was like, you know, I'm going to take a full load of classes. And I did. Um, and my first class was with Wanda Powell, uh, African-American history class. And she was just life-changing. She walked into the room and she's like, hello, good people. And I was like, whoa, that's what I want to do. I've been a history uh, fanatic ever since kindergarten. Played Harriet Tubman in a school play. And um, <laughs> in kindergarten, my mom and I like read through our encyclopedias, the research, what she was like so I could dress the part. I don't remember my lines. I'm sure it was one sentence, but it was life-changing because after that, I read every single book I came across about Harriet Tubman, about slavery, about uh, just American history. <laughs> so then I decided then I wanted to be a, a, a professor. Um, and so I ended up going to Southwest, ran across you, <laughs> like out on the quad. I never would have thought about going to USC. Like just never thought about it. I didn't even think about what was going to happen past Southwest College at that time. I was just like, well, I'm going to take the classes I want to take. I wasn't thinking about graduation or anything. Um, and came across that. At the same time, I had gone to an EOPNS program meeting, and the lady there also was a Norman Topping Scholar, and she, excuse me, she explained to us that she was able to go to USC for free. I was like, for free? She said, low income, USC will pay for it, and I was like, get out of here. Well, they did. Back then, tuition was only 38000 <laughs> Only. Yeah. <laughs> Thirty-eight thousand a year. It's like eighty now. It's ridiculous. Yes, yes, yes. And um, the federal government gave me nineteen thousand. USC gave me nineteen thousand, and I got like four thousand from the Norman Topping Scholarship. So I graduated not even needing a student loan at that time. I still took out some student loans because I still had two kids to raise. So I maxed out my student loans every year. Um, I remember driving a nineteen seventy-six Pinto station wagon that I bought. (laughs) I got it from some, he got in from the impound for like a hundred dollars. And I drove that to school. So embarrassing. And like, I would get off of work late and folks were like, let me walk you to your car. I'm like, no, 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 thank you. I'll make it. <laughs> Nate, I'm like, this car is old as I am. No, 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 I'm good. Um, but you know, I just, I decided at some point the switch came on and I decided I wanted to do more with my life. And, you know, after high school, I ended up 
taking a job at TWA, making $5 and nine cents an hour, raising two kids, you know, and after a year, we got a nickel raise. So $5 and 14 cents an hour. Um, and I was like, this is no way to live, (laughs) you know, and I already knew I always, I've always been an A and B student period. So I, I know that I excel academically, but I wasn't achieving to the level that I needed to. And so going to Southwest college, then Wanda Powell again decided to create a, a tennis team. And we were in class one day and she said, she mentioned, I mentioned that I played softball. She was like, Oh, I'm starting a tennis team. You need to come. I said, No, 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 no. I played softball. <laughs> and so she's like, Come join the tennis team. She's like, It's the, basically the same thing. Hey. <laughs> <You Yeah. hitting? laughs> Not basically the same thing. We're, we, yeah, we're hitting home runs over the fence. Bad news bears, but it was the best thing. So, all black team. I think we had one Latina, but the rest black team. And we're competing against Mount Sac. We're competing against Marymount College. And so all these uh, more diverse groups. None of us had played tennis before, except we had one girl on the team who had played before. But she was like a superstar. She had played with Venus and Serena growing up. Her passion was basketball. So she wasn't really, she wasn't really tripping on, on tennis at all, but she was amazing as a tennis player. She and her sister were, but they both loved basketball. Um, so my partner and I ended up making it to the regionals. Um, and that, 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 that sister was the, was my partner. She was my, my, we won together more than any other team. So we ended up, um, playing together and, um, I almost messed up my senior, my, my, my last year at Southwest college because I, because I was on the tennis team and we were excelling. And, um, I was also at the same time in an abusive relationship. And so I was with this guy, we would argue all night. And then in the morning, I would go to sleep, <laughs> miss class. Then I would go to school in time for practice because I didn't want to blow it. And um, and then eventually that ended when he hit me in the eye, <laughs> you know, and blood like hit me. I still have a, a small scar here, um, but blood was running down my face, down my neck. My, my gown is soaked. My children are seeing this. And that was it for me because my mom had been in abusive relationships before I saw my stepdad smack her in the face. And I was like, I will never do that. I would never allow myself to be in a situation like that. But I did find myself in a situation like it's the first time he ever hit me with a closed fist, but he had hit me three other times prior. And so, but that was it for me. <laughs> and, and then I went to class and like tried to make up all my classes and I got A's on everything that I did, but I turned it all in late. So I got B's. Um, and then, um, USC wanted to see my transcripts from that semester. And so I'm like, I can't turn in these transcripts with these B's on it. So I took four more classes for summer school, waited until those scores posted, printed those transcripts and sent them to USC and got in. Um, and it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. Like life just changed so much. My kids got to see one of the things that I really wanted was to be an example for them. My kids got to see me graduate from Southwest College. They got to see me graduate from USC. Um, my dad ended up dying my senior year at USC. Mm-hmm. Um, September uh, September seventeenth, two thousand one, he died, and he didn't have the he didn't have life insurance or anything. He had cancer, and I didn't know he was sick. He knew he had known he had cancer for a long time. Um, but I ended up taking out a loan from USC in order to pay for his funeral and um, not a regular student loan, but just a personal loan, emergency loan they had. 
And so when I graduated in May 2022, um, I got a beautiful little letter saying, congratulations, you've earned your degree, but you're not going to receive it until you pay back this loan. And so, yeah, that was really heartbreaking, but, um, but I worked and paid off that loan. <laughs> and so October that year is when I finally received my actual diploma. Um, but, you know, from there, I didn't really, I didn't use my, my degree at all until 2006. So I went, went to go work back for the airline so I could fly for free. Then I went to go sell insurance, car insurance and homeowners insurance over the phone. Um, and then I had a boss that was just treating me horribly. And I was like, you know, I really just don't have to take this. I'm going to go teach. This is what I wanted to do all along. When my children were, um, when they started kindergarten, when I started at USC, um, their, their principal, I would volunteer at their school all the time. And their principal wanted to hire me when one of the teachers retired. Um, and I never got around to finishing that process and just, I graduate. I couldn't believe I was graduating from USC with no job. I was like, I have no job and I'm graduating, but that was my reality. And so, um, when I finally decided I wanted to teach, I went through Teach for America. Um, it was a great opportunity because all of the training, I, I'm really thankful that I didn't just go directly into teaching because shaping the mindset is what was really important that I needed. And I wouldn't have had if I would have just gone directly into the school district teaching. Um, but, and I, and I had also the year before that I had started an MBA program because my church at my church, they were going to start like a Christian coffee house bookstore. And I said, none of you know how to run a business. So let me go to business school so I can learn how to run a business so we can do this right. Um, and so I was two classes away from finishing when I had to stop and take my master's in elementary education and um, get my teaching credentials. So I did that, stopped, did those. Um, and then once I finished my master's in elementary education at Loyola, Loyola Marymount University, um, then I went back and finished my master's in business administration. Um I don't know if you want me to just keep, <laughs> keep, keep. Oh, and, 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 and so how old are your kids at this point? Um, so in 2006, my son is 11 and my daughter is, my, my daughter is 11. My son is 12. So they're watching you conquer all these different things. And so you are like this example for your children. You know, you graduated couple times now now you have not one master's but two master's degrees and they're like in fifth and sixth grade yes right interesting talk about your first um because we were talking about you were a principal or you started off at a school um that you had to turn around give us a little bit about that yes so um well i so during the time that i taught i was in i started teaching in linwood unified school district amazing experience. Um, I taught three years there and then the like economy crashed. <laughs> a lot of schools were laying off teachers. Everybody who had been in the district less than three years got laid off. Oh, wow. Um, and so I left from the district and went to, um, charter. And, um, and that was, that was just a, a whole different experience. Um, has its own sets of benefits and challenges. Um, but then in 2012, I ended up moving to, uh, Sacramento. And, um, that was a big decision. It was my daughter's senior year in high school. 
But at that point, I was just very depressed because my grandma had died um, We had in, in 2011. And she was like my everything. So she died in 2011. That was really hard for me to handle. And then um, it was September. She died September 16th, 2010. <clears throat> excuse me, 2011, my church fell apart. And I was like, you know what? It was just a, a whole level of stress on top of stress on top of stress. And I said, I have to have to get out of here and leave Los Angeles. So I moved to Sacramento, um, got a job at Sacramento High School, teaching 11th grade U.S. history, 12th grade government econ. It was the best thing ever, my best two years of teaching. It was during the election period of Obama and Romney. Oh, and, wow. Yes. And I had my kids watching the uh, debates Every time that's a fun time to teach in history, like, oh, yeah. like, like in that government, all that. Wow. Go ahead. I'm sorry. It was amazing. And so my kids are all politically active now. Like the, I still call them my kids. The, they're all grown. With I still kids. call you my kids. So I yeah. <laughs> they're grown and married with children and things like that. But these are my babies. Um, but they just became really politically active. And I said, I don't really, I don't care what side you choose. You just need to be able to defend what you believe. So watch the debates. Tell me who won. Tell me why, based on evidence, who won. You know, and I had some slick football players who like, we have practice. We're going to miss it. I said, it's okay. I'll bring you the transcript. You can read it tomorrow. And they're like, "Mm, I'll find it on YouTube. I will find a way. To watch Good for you. Good oh, yeah. for you. Cause they always use a some that excuse of I gotta yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but they loved it. They loved it. And whatever political issues we had in school, we used those in class. So like there was the whole plastic bag debate happening. Um, right when California was determining whether or not they were gonna continue with the single use plastic bags or not. So we were debating that issue. There were some immigration issues we were debating. So we got to talk about all those things. I just had, it was my best years of teaching. Um, and there were so many connections between like the New Deal and coming out of the Great Depression and what Obama had done to try to help us get out of that recession. And so best two years teaching, I couldn't pass a state test in world history. Now, U.S. history, and it's crazy because right after I, gra- well, I graduated college in 2002, double major history, political science. 2006 is when I decided to take the test because that's when I decided to teach and didn't pat missed it by one point, the world uh-huh. history, passed the U.S. history, passed the government civics econ, but the world history, I failed by one point and it was all downhill after that. <laughs> so I kept taking the test, but never having time to study because I'm teaching. And if right. something has to suffer, I'm not letting my kids suffer. I'm not letting my children suffer. Like I, if I don't have enough time to do everything, my lesson plans are going to be done. My students are going to learn. My children are going to be taken care of. And the thing that was on the back burner was passing this test. So um, my principal was like, I got it on the state test. My kids, first of all, scored, 76% of them scored proficient or advanced on the state test in history. Um, the the English scores went through the roof, which I also know was because of you know myself and my partner, my partner teacher. Um, because my kids said, we do more reading in your class than we do in our English class. And they were complaining. I was like, yes, thank you for letting me know I'm doing a great job. Had them writing a 10 page research paper and they had to do the research, you know? So, um, anyway, scores through the roof. Um, I'm the number one teacher on the state test in our school of all subjects. And, um, but I didn't pass this test, so I can't teach anymore. And... (laughs) 
but I had the multiple subjects credential, but that's K through eight because I had started in elementary and middle school. Right. So, um, so I had accepted, I was, uh, well, I was going to, I had interviewed for some jobs in New York. I had received an offer for teaching eighth grade writing in Crown Heights area of Brooklyn, and then a Dean of Students position in, um, uh, Brook in Bedside. And mm-hmm. so my boss is like, you got, he's like, I got good news and bad news. Um, the good news is you got advanced on your evaluation. The bad news is I can't give you a contract for next year because, um, uh, because you didn't pass the test. And I said, well, I have even more bad news. I got two job offers in New York. So I'm out of here. And he's like, wait, hold on, hold on. on." He's like, can I talk to the superintendent about this? I was like, yeah. So the superintendent, amazing guy. When I got that job, he had flown to LA to watch me teach. Um, And he's the one who offered me the job. Yeah, because... um, I didn't live in, I had never set foot in Sacramento when I moved up there. Like I came up there with all my things, my first time ever setting foot in Sacramento, but he and the department chair had flown down to LA to watch me teach. I was training teachers that summer for Teach for America. I took over one of their classes and taught a lesson um, and then interviewed with them and, and got the job. And so he was, he rode his bike down to the school to open the door on a Sunday, the day before school started for kids is when I moved (laughs) moved there And, and so like, he knew me very well. So he and the principal developed a whole new job just for me, a dean of culture position. It didn't exist. And, um, you didn't go to New York. Yes. Wow. Yes. And so at that time I was making like 55,000. Um, we agreed to a 70,000 salary on this job, the dean of dean of culture. And, um, but then my principal ended up moving out of state, the assistant principal, they moved him up and he's like, I want to open up the job to everybody. So he did. His best friend wanted the job. Um, and so we interviewed for it, but I killed it. There was, there was no competition. Um, and, and then, uh, but then they eliminated the job and offered me a lesser job with lesser pay. I'm like, well, you know, we're going to offer you 62,000, but you can make an extra 8,000 by working summer school. I said, absolutely not. You're not going to, and they were offering me 90 in New York, by the way. And so I said, no, no, no. The struggle of my life has been having time and no money or money and no time. I need to have time and money at the same time. You're not going to offer me the same 70,000 we already agreed to, but then make me work summer school in order to get it. I'm not, I'm not okay with that. I'll go to New York, get that job to whoever you want to give it to. So then I called a meeting with my superintendent. Um, We went, met, had lunch. I said, he, he's like, what would you like to, I don't want to eat anything you eat. I talk, you listen. I said, my problem, and it's not even at the school that I talked to you about yet. This guy was, he was a great guy, um, Jim Scheibel. And so I said, there are no black leaders in St. Hope Public Schools. I said, and we have capable black leaders, but they're not being given the opportunity to lead. I said, and when I say we have capable black leaders, I'm talking about me. By the time we finished that conversation, he offered me another job, told me to interview to be an instructional coach to train teachers at the elementary school. And so I went ahead and interviewed with that principal and the assistant principal. I got that job. She offered me the same 70000 I said, 70000 is no longer on the table. I need seventy five. She said, that's almost as much as I make. I said, that's not my problem. I'm going to need seventy five. And like, I just, through my MBA program, I've learned to negotiate salaries. Like that is something I think that we fail at, especially as black women. 
Um, mm-hmm. We accept what we're offered and I will never accept what I'm offered because you you have more and you will give me more because I deserve more. And I'm going to show you I'm worth all of it. I'm worth every penny. And so I kicked butt at that job. And then they just, they were eliminating that job. And what, what I did know. You're eliminating stuff every time you get something. <laughs> what is with that? Yeah. Well, what's crazy is that superintendent got moved out of his position. Okay. And, and so they had already eliminated all the other instructional coach positions, but he revived that one just for me. Okay. Yes. And so they were eliminating it and turning it into an assistant principal um, of instruction position. Well, I had a mentor who was the head of Teach for America Sacramento. He had interviewed me for a teaching job in LA. Um, and I, he, he was supposed to be principal at another school. They ended up not making him principal, so he couldn't hire me, but I did get that job. And then when he took over, um, Teach for America Sacramento, they were opening that brand new the year I got there. And so I ended up asking him to be my mentor when I got into school leadership. And so he told me about my first principal job. And he's like, there's a school, charter school. They're opening a brand. They they were great at the school that they had. They're opening a brand new school. They need a principal. And I said, do you think I'm ready for that? I've only been in school leadership one year, you know, besides training teachers for Teach for America, which I had several years of that. But he said, absolutely. He said, but worst case scenario will be good interview practice. I said, ah, I can do interview practice. <laughs> it just like. I had no no fear with interview practice. Okay, yeah, I can do that. Well, I went to the first interview and got moved to the second. Like the, the the superintendent's like, I'm moving you to the second interview right now. I was like, what? So we scheduled for the next week the second interview, then the third interview, and then I got the job. Um, it was paying a lot less than I thought. I hadn't negotiated. Principal? Huh? For a principal? For oh, a yeah. principal? Yeah, yeah. So I was making seventy five as an instructional coach. They offered me eighty. And I was like, for a world of more uh, yeah. responsibility. And, but the description says 75 to 90. So I was definitely expecting 90. I got two master's degrees, two bachelor's degrees, eight years of teaching. That, of course, of course, they're giving me 90. And then when they come with the contract, I was like, what? And he's like, well, it's only because we're opening the school brand new. Um, but as enrollment increases, your salary will increase. I said, okay, I'll accept that for this one year. So, um, uh, but then <laughs> we ended up having some conflict. And because I have a master's in, in business administration, I know all of the money. Like I'm, I know the money. I know how to write a, write a budget. I know how to read a budget. My grandmother owned an apartment building. <laughs> I know how to manage, I know how to manage a budget. Excuse me. So our chief business officer, and I don't even know where he got his numbers incorrect, but he he messed up his numbers. He said I was three hundred fifty thousand in the hole on my budget. I said there's no way. I said now if you're saying that we brought in three hundred fifty thousand less than we expected to, that might be a true statement. But three hundred fifty in the hole means I spent three hundred fifty thousand more right. than what I brought in. That absolutely did not happen. And so he said, yeah, that's what happened. I said it can't be. I started estimating the numbers, and I said we're we're, we're close to break even. And Everybody was appalled. They had worked with this guy for five or six years prior. Nobody had ever questioned him because nobody had a finance background. Nobody had a, a had a money background. Everybody was educated. And they come from teaching to get him promoted up. And so um, so I'm like, yeah, this is it. You know, we're close to break even. And my boss is like, are you saying you know more than him? Like, he's been doing this longer than you've been alive. 
And if what you're saying is right, then he's incompetent. And if what you're saying is right, then he shouldn't be our chief business officer. I said, I'm not saying all that. All I'm saying is we're not 350000 in the hole on my budget. And so an outside auditor came, as they do every year, and, and analyzed our budget, determined we were 11000 in the hole, which is equivalent to one student enrollment. So if we had had one additional student, we'd have been exactly break even. And so I went back to my boss and was like, hey, like, did you, did you see this? <laughs> um, you know, we're actually not 350000 in the hole, like I said, and I feel like you owe me an apology because the way you came at me. And he was just like, what? Because I said that, you know, he's been doing this longer than you. I said, nope. Recapped everything he said. He was like, well, you know, he's 60, you're 40. He maybe haven't been doing it longer than you've been alive, but he's been doing it a long time. I said, that's not the point. Point is, I was right. <laughs> You tried to humiliate me and make me feel bad because I was saying that, you know, these were the numbers and he refused to apologize. But then he went like on, on just like a rampage, like writing me up, creating a paper trail. I had perfect attendance up until that time. I was kicking butt. My kids were outperforming the students at my sister's school. I didn't have the turnover they had at my sister's school. Most charter schools have a lot of turnover. I didn't have any. I, I didn't have any with teachers. I had an office manager who left. She got married. Her husband was like, you need to be making more money. <laughs> and then I had another one who, an uh, aide who had become homeless and didn't have transportation. And where she was moving to was far out. She couldn't make it to the school. That was all the turnover I had in the year and a half that I was there. Um, and then my student data, we were overachieving. And um, so my boss intentionally didn't want anyone to see the data compared like my data to the, my sister school's data because he had been the principal there for six years prior. Then this other lady had taken over. And by the way, they gave her 90,000 when they gave me 80,000. Uh, <laughs> and I had more education and more experience than her. And um, they still, they paid her 10,000 more. And then when I talked to him about, and I didn't even know that, but I told him, I said, you know, if I would have known in the beginning it was 80000 I never would have accepted the job. And he was just appalled that I would say that. And I said, oh, yeah, I said, because I saw on the on the document, it said 75 to 90. He's like, well, the reason why we're paying her 90. And I was like, you're paying her 90? <laughs> he blew it. Oh, my God. He blew it. He blew it. I said it inside. I didn't say it out loud. But then I said, I said, okay. I said, well, just so you know, like, I'm going to need a raise for next year. He said, whatever I give you in a raise, I'm going to give her a raise the same amount. And I said, why would you do that? Because you said to me that as my enrollment increases, my salary would increase. Her enrollment won't increase because she was maxed out to begin with. You know, she was in a school building. I was in two church campuses, a couple of blocks away. So my school is divided. The kindergarten's at one at one church. The, the, the TK first and second grader at the other church. We, you know, we have to build up the classrooms and break them back down every week because the church has to use it for church, right. you know? And so- like, this is my reality. Her, she's in a school that's been established there for years. Right. You know, community support, everything. We're all brand new. So I'm like, my work is different from her. She was K through six. And so she had more kids and more parents and things like that. But mine was, we were opening brand new. So anyways, um, we had just a bunch of challenges. He wrote me up because I took one of my aides who didn't drive. Um, he took two buses and a train to get to school every day. He had left his lunch. He said, Kalisha, is it possible you could take me to go get something to eat when you get a moment? I looked at my watch. I said, you know what? Now's the perfect time. Let's go. So we went, took him through the drive-thru, came back. My boss rolled me up because I didn't let the office know that I was leaving campus. And I was like. Don't somebody else. Yes. Yeah. 
said, you never told me that I needed to. I'm always off campus, back and forth between the two churches. And, you know, sometimes I leave, go to seven, but we've never talked about this. And if that's the case, that's just a teaching moment. That's not a write-up. You know, you've never mentioned this to me before. It's not, it doesn't come in a write-up. So we had just a bunch of um, issues. I ended up being asked to resign from that job, um, which was also like so many things that hurdles that I've, I've, I've had in my life have been perfect, <laughs> perfect setups for the next thing. Um, but he, he told me, um, if you resign before noon on Monday, I'll give you one month of severance pay. Um, but if you don't and you go through with this board meeting and we decide to fire you, you won't get any severance pay. I said, the board has heard your mouth. They've heard your voice all year. They will hear my voice. And so I went to the board meeting. My mentor came. He stood up and spoke on my behalf. Um, and like the school, all of the leadership at the school is white. The board of directors completely white. And then there's me. <laughs> and then, but my mentor is also a white man. And so, um, he got up and spoke on my behalf. Um, and by the time I finish, telling what had happened. Um, they ended up paying me eight months salary. <laughs> they paid me from November till June. They paid all of my benefits. They said, um, uh, we, they said, um, if you apply for unemployment tomorrow, we'll approve it. We won't contest it. And I said, what about my references? They're like, well, we'll just, we'll just, uh, verify the date you worked. I said, absolutely not. I said, everybody knows that's a bad reference because if you had something good to say, you would. So if you, if somebody calls you to check reference and you say, I'm just going to verify her dates, that's a negative reference. So two of the board members were like, here's our business cards. Here are our business cards. We will give you a glowing reference. We have nothing but great things to say about you. We've had nothing but great experiences with you. And I said, thank you. Um, But, and one of the board members had said, like, we believe you. Because I was like, listen, I said, what I'm saying to you is the truth. Because times when I would, when I'm speaking, my superintendent's shaking his head and like making faces and say, listen, I said, and I'm, what I'm telling you is the truth. And I'm telling you the truth, not because of who you are, but because who I am and who my grandmother raised me to be. She raised me with a high level of integrity and I would never lie to you. And I know they felt it in their souls. Like there was no way they couldn't. I'm, I'm crying. But besides that, like I'm speaking to their souls. I'm looking them in their eyes and they know that what I'm saying is the truth. And they said, the only thing is we feel like things have gone too far. And so what they meant, what I found out later, what they meant by that, one of the board members who was there to vote me out, um, they had already had him resign from his previous job so that he could take over as principal of this school. And so because he had already resigned, they were voting him in that night. And they were they they thought it was an open and shut case based on right. what they heard from my boss, but they had never talked to me, which I don't even understand that process. Right. Like, how do you not bring me up to talk about what he's writing me up for? So, um, anyways, they had already had already had that in motion. And then one of the parents they had planned for her, she ended up coming there to speak against me. All she said was, um, I just have to say that Ms. Washington doesn't have the same enthusiasm for the job that she used to have. That's all she could come up with. That's all she could come up with. But then they voted her in as board member to replace the guy who they were removing as board member so that he could replace me. He was in that position about a year and he was out. I recently went to that school's website and there there are three people who were there when I was there who are still there. The janitor, 
the lady I hired to be the uh to pass out lunch. She's now office manager and the TK teacher. Those are the only three people who are still there. Like the rest, wow. they've had complete turnover. Um, not even any AIDS, not even one aid. And so, anyways. But so hold on was- a second. So, so, so this, so the superintendent is the one who talked to the board, but the board never asked you to come in for a meeting. Correct. So you had to request a meeting yourself. We had, this was my, so he put me on administrative leave and this was them voting me out of the position because they had to vote oh, me in the position. They got to vote me out and then they had to vote the new guy in. Gotcha. Yep. And so because of that process, that, that gave you the opportunity to be able to be in front of the board yes. to put your story and out your evidence or whatever the case may be. Yeah. I didn't have the power to even call a meeting with the board. Right. No, that wasn't, I didn't have that power. Um, but it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me because then I got my next principal job in East Palo Alto. I ended up taking over a school that was failing. Oh, oh, you were, oh, you're in the Bay Area. Okay. Yes. Yes. And so I ended up taking that job. I was so thankful to no, no longer be the smartest person in the room. <laughs> I finally was in a position where I had folks that could teach me some things. And that was an amazing thing. I had people with more experience in school leadership. Um, like I learned my organizational skills got tighter, um, how I take notes for meetings, um, how we analyze data, like everything leveled up. So as an educator, I just became the absolute best. Um, and then from there, I ended up moving to Memphis. I taught, I taught fifth grade. Oh, you was all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Memphis, yeah. man. Yeah. Sacramento to Palo Alto, from Palo Alto to Memphis. Yes. Yeah. And I was only there six months and then I moved back to Los Angeles. Um, and then I took an assistant principal job, which I absolutely excelled at. Um, and I loved it. I ended up leaving that job. My daughter ended up having my grandson a month later. And so I moved to, to Las Vegas where I live now. And I decided I was not going back to education. Um, there's been just too much politics, too much politics and not just like on the official, but in, in internal politics in schools that where you can clearly see that people have other agendas besides just making sure kids learn. Right. You know, and that's and- the problem right there. Nobody is really thinking about the kids, mm-hmm. the students and what they're learning. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is now, a how about how now? I look. My kids are 27 and 28 years old. Wow. Yeah. My grandson, he'll be three in a couple of weeks. Um, and he is the best thing ever. I'm just like, this kid I said, who knew that grandparenting was so much better than parenting? <laughs> that's what they say. I'll yeah. never know. I'll never know. But that's what they say. Wow. <laughs> and so I absolutely love it. My, um, I moved here. I have a travel business also. So I book travel, also help other people establish their own travel businesses as well. And, um, and that's my passion. I have a 50, 50, 50 goal to visit all 50 states and 50 countries before I turn 50. Um, I've been to 40 states so far in 26. Countries. How old are you? 46. Okay. So you have four years to fit. Wait, what's the 50 states? Yeah. 50 states and 50 countries before I turn 50. Yeah. And, um, so I'm at 40 states so far and 26 countries. So I'm going to finish that off in the next three years. Yeah. I have to, yeah you're going to have to beef yeah. up that, uh, international mm-hmm. travel. But usually wow. when I travel internationally, I visit multiple states, most multiple countries at a time. Mm-hmm. And once I get through Europe, like, and, and Asia, like a few more of those, I'll, I'll get it. It'll happen. 
Um, but I wanted, what was the beautiful thing is during the pandemic, being able to spend time with my grandson, you know, and I've always wanted to pour into him the same way my grandmother poured into me. Um, he calls me Bibi, which is grandmother in Swahili. Um, mm-hmm. cause my dad had my kids call him Babu, which was grandfather in Swahili, which is why I thought about this because, you know, he had black studies degree. Um, and And so, like, just being able to be there with him, my grandson, especially during the pandemic, I didn't have to worry about him going to daycare or anything like that. While my daughter and and my and her kids' dad were working, I could be home with him. And my time schedule is flexible. And now I'm just on a mission to help people as much as I can to get to the next level in their lives. Um, I have some books in my soul that need to come out that haven't come out yet, um, but that I, I plan to write so that we can all level up, especially as parents. Um, Because I took some child development classes um, at Southwest College. And I remember, um, you know, growing up, always feeling like, I don't need anybody to teach me how to raise my kids. And a lot of us have that sentiment, but we really do need somebody to teach us how to raise our kids because there's so much that we don't know. And, but you, you look at certain things and you think of it as that's not for us you know, as, as black people, we don't think of this as us. And so if I can show folks a better way, um, that's my, my goal, because the foundation that we set with our kids is so important for their futures and how they are as, as children will determine how hard they struggle as adults. You know, um, if they're in position to be successful while they're young, uh, there's there's a book um, that I read that talks about, it wasn't about black kids, but it talks about the, the ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. And they were like, the more adverse childhood experiences that a kid has, the harder it is for them to overcome later in life. They end up with addiction. They end up having a hard time keeping a job. There are a bunch of other things that happen as adults um, with them. But more importantly, like when they when they are treated well as kids and they're nurtured as kids, then they're more risk takers when they're older in a good way, like attempting a job that they may not feel like they're qualified for. You know, when I see stuff on TV where folks are like, I live in this community, I live in this city, minimum wage is this low. I have kids. I can't, I'm like, move, move to another city. But if you don't, if you haven't been taught that you can take that risk of picking up and moving somewhere else, of relocating, just something as simple as that, you stay in this trap, you know, you stay on that hamster wheel and you're not being successful and you're not even putting yourself in position to be successful. Some folks are like, college is not for me. And I'm like, mm, I think college is for everybody, really, um, for so in, in different ways. Like, right, right. You, may not be, you may not be the person that's going to go and be a lawyer, but like when my daughter, at one point, she wanted to do hair. And I said, great, go ahead and get your cosmetology license. But then also go get a business degree so you learn how to manage the business and you're not only doing hair, but you own a salon. Right. And you're making money off of other people's chairs as well. So learn how to multiply that money. But so many times that we're just doing the bare minimum and I can't blame the people who are doing that. It's usually something from our childhood that keeps us stagnant in a way that makes us feel like I can't branch out. And we didn't always have that because like my grandparents moved from Texas 
to California. You know, there was the great migration and folks were moving out of the South and moving to the North and the West and trying to find a place to make a better life for their families. And for some reason, we've become a lot more stagnant. I know folks that have never left Los Angeles, that have never been on a plane who are my age. You know, my kid's dad has never been on an airplane and won't get on one. He'll come to Vegas. He'll drive to Vegas or take a bus, but he won't get on a plane. And like to be willing to take those risks, we got to set our kids up for that, you know, and also like being, being a plus size woman and the whole other thing, but I've never had self-esteem issues because of how my childhood was, you know, my grandmother just never, and I see other people who have been in a similar situation, but the way their parents handle it will determine how they are. You know, I remember seeing a show of Dr. Phil and somebody was crying and they were trying to lose weight and they're like, I feel ugly. And I was like, I want to lose weight, but like, I've never felt like that. <laughs> I've never felt like I'm ugly or anything like that, but it was really just my upbringing, having a grandma who loved me. And one of the things when I became an educator, I said, these kids may not have my grandma, but they got me and I'm going to give them the same energy my grandma gave me and I'm going to pour into them and I love them. My kids, they still, they'll call me mama to this day. I'm, some of them that I haven't taught since 2014, they'll still call me mama to this day because they know I love them. And um, and I think that's important when you have somebody, if they don't have the person at home, they got to have the person somewhere. And if I can be that person somewhere for someone. And I remember we had a thing where our kids had to present to a family member, their parents. It was It was set up for them to present to their parents. One of my kids came to me and said, my mom is in jail. My aunt has a bunch of other kids that she's not, she's not going to come down. Can I present to you? Absolutely. This lady, this girl was, she's 20 some years old. She has a kid of her own. She will still call me mama to this day, you know? And like, I love being able to be that person. If I can inspire somebody, um, I'm on a mission to do it. I'm on a mission to help build generational wealth in my family, but also like giving back to other people and especially being able to get get people to believe in themselves because what's happening in your brain is going to determine what you're actually able to execute. Right, you got to right. you got to believe you can do it. And like even when I I forgot to mention when I applied to USC I didn't apply anywhere else. You know, and I was like I'm going to USC. I had my mind made up. It's happening. I messed up that last semester, but I'm still going to USC. I'm getting in. It's happening. And when your mind is made up you can do anything. You can accomplish anything. Right. You know, right. you got to know, you got to believe in yourself. And you, you usually it comes from somebody in your childhood helping you to believe you can do anything that when you get older, you can. And even if you haven't had that, you still got to build that in yourself now and build that for other generations. Wow. That is, I mean, amazing. I mean, I, I, I mean, I totally, I totally get it. Um, because I, I understand that some, you know, we, <laughs> to be that example for our students, I mean, that's, that's, that's basically how my life has been. It's just always been to be an example or to be a support. And like you said, you know, that, that one child or that one young lady didn't have that person and then asked you, you know, to be that person. I mean, that's like an honor. It was. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm sure you felt honored when that when that student said, "Hey, you know, my mom's this or aunt this, or whatever," and I want to present to you. And you're like, "Oh wow!" I mean, it's 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 amazing how, you know, when they see people like us who are trying to help our students, there's always somebody trying to eliminate, like you you know, 
folks are trying to eliminate your job three, four times. It sounds like yes. just because you were you were doing right by mm-hmm. the students, and I just I don't get why we have. I mean, I get it, but I mean, just like by saying this, like I don't get how educators are not there to educate our students. They just are, like you said, they're just there to get a check, or they're just there to. I don't know what they're there for, but it's it's just it's amazing how we get overlooked because of that. And then it takes that one person or that one school that just says, look, we're going to develop this position for you because A, we don't want to lose you. And B, because you're, you are really, you know, helping this school. You know, you said you, you know, attendance grew, you know, you're, you know, you're doing all these positive things. These students are doing well on the, on the, um, those state exams that I hated taking back in the day. Um, but I mean, it's amazing. And so now, um, you had mentioned when we were talking that you were thinking about starting back a school so that your grandson could have somewhere to go. What, what are your plans? We only have about ooh, five minutes. Yeah. You were talking about thinking about maybe going back to education just so your grandson could, could have a place yeah. to go. So I live here in Las Vegas and the school system is not, not good out here. Um, and so, yeah, I, I am on the fence about it. He's, he'll be three in a couple of weeks. And, but by the time he's starting school, I, I, it's in my heart to open the school. So I may end up doing, it. I'm going to see, I'm going to write up to see if I can write up a business plan for the school. And, um, and if I did, I would want it to be a private school. Um, and, but just a high performing private school where I can provide scholarships for low income kids, especially kids who look like me, who wouldn't otherwise be able to go to a private school. Right. Um, but who need teachers who believe in them because that is key. If you don't believe as a, as an educator, if you don't believe the kids can succeed, they, they, they will usually stop, hit a ceiling of where your belief level is. And when like they, studies have been shown that when you teach, they'll tell, tell a teacher, you have the gifted and talented kids. And they're really, really just the regular kids, just the random draw kids, but they tell them, oh, you got the gifted and talented kids. But that teacher believing that will teach them at a much higher level. level. And those kids yeah. excel at a higher level because the teacher believes they can do it. Well, they could have done it all along. All of the kids could have done it all along. And there is something special about the gifted kids where they can go even higher, but you're not even teaching to the level of the regular kids because mm-hmm. you think that they can't handle it when they can't. My kids had never done a 10-page research paper before, and I had them do it, and they did it. And then one of my babies who even had an IEP, he had uh specialties, he had a disability. He came in every day. I made myself available every day after school. They were like, can you shorten my assignment? I'm not shortening your assignment. You're going to do the 10 pages everybody else is doing, but I'll be here to help you. And I helped him every day. I ended up running into him at the mall after he had graduated and he was in a community college. And he's like, hey, Ms. Washington. He's like, my first term paper, I got a B on. And he said the only reason he got a B instead of an A was because he had some grammar errors, some grammatical errors. And I didn't teach that. I taught I didn't teach English. I taught history, but I taught him how to write. And he was able to get a B. And he was so proud of himself. And I was very proud of him because he did that without me holding his hand after school every day. <laughs> but when you show somebody that they can do something more than they've ever thought they could do before, they'll do it and they continue to excel. And so it's about that positivity. If, if teachers had that mindset that 
uh, that I'm going to, like you said, they faked and told the lady that she had a high gifted class. So she had a whole different way of teaching mm-hmm. versus if she just knew she had a quote regular class, yeah. she probably wouldn't have put that much oomph into her yeah. job, which is sad. I it mean, is. that's sad that <laughs> that's sad, but wow. I mean, your, your story is incredible. Just your, your movement from state to state and city to city and job to job. And, and these folks, you know, you know, it took that this, this, this board or this man, he was just so jealous and envious of your skills that he would make up stuff to get to a point where now you got to go to the board. And I'm so glad that you went to the board with your story and your evidence so that they were able to say, okay, hold up. This is making more sense than what he said. And I'm just, I'm glad that you were able to at least, you know, go out, you know, with a bang in the sense of, you know, if you leave and you're going to know why and increase that one month salary to a, for them paying the rest of the year, all your benefits and everything and unemployment uh, without um, just, um, I mean, it's, it's incredible, but it's just sad that it has to come to that. Um, but I, I totally, wow, man. I mean, you just never know, you know, who, 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 who you're talking to, who, who, who you're helping. And, you know, that's just, you know, that one day at Southwest College and look, 20 years later, you know, ridiculous. Um, I'm so thankful that you even, um, chose to come to a school like Southwest because we're in the hood of South Central Los Angeles and for you to even say hey I'm going to come and consistently I think it was like once a month you were there to right. recruit and it and that's what worked that's what the thing that did it was seeing you all the time committed to us that made us apply and several of us ended up going several different careers one of the one of the ladies who who graduated from Southwest with me and went to USC. She's a dentist. She owns like three dental offices now and another business that she opened. And that's all thanks to you coming and taking that time. So I thank you so much. I appreciate you. And I appreciate you staying in contact all this time, 20 years after I've graduated, um, but continuing to, to love on us. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on Mindful Mondays. I just, I mean, when I heard some of your story, I was like, stop, I don't want to hear anymore. I want, I want you to say it on the podcast because I know there are people who have similar situations of this adversity that you've got to fight. And I appreciate you telling your story. It is now six o'clock. I told you that hour was going to go by fast. It is now six o'clock. So it's time for Monday, Mindful Mondays to wrap up. Hey there, how are you? <laughs> I'm talking to Mr. <laughs> Godwin, but we appreciate, thank you so much for being on the show, Kalisha. I appreciate you. And this is Mindful Mondays with Dr. Corliss P. Bennett, and I'll see you next week with another guest. And until then, bye for now. Happy 4th of July. <laughs>